Welcome back to Right to Refuge, a podcast brought to you by Solidarity. I'm Izzy Ponsonby, Director of Outreach, and today I'll be talking to Lydia Siapardani from the Arida Centre based in Thessaloniki, Greece. Last episode, we discussed the gendered impacts, theories and complications, but today we're looking at what can and is being done and the more practical side of refugee women's experiences. Lydia, can you please explain to me a bit about what the Arida Centre does and your role there? Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Izzy. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for having me here today. I'm thrilled to join the podcast. So I'm Lydia. I'm the head of media and advocacy of the Women's Centre in Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki is the second largest city in Greece and has a large amount of refugee population. It is a Greek NGO starting operating in 2018. We offer a safe space, uh, safe space to about 460 refugee, asylum-seeking and migrant women from 35 different countries who live in the urban area in, of Thessaloniki. And we provide them with access to protection services, legal aid, education and learning opportunities, recreational and psychosocial support activities, and a strong community that work uh, that works as a safety net for them, even outside uh, the IRIDA context. Our work is based on four main pillars, protection, empowerment, integration, and co-inclusion. And we aim for our members to feel protected, empowered, and supported, to reclaim ownership in their lives and become agents of change, first of all for themselves and later for their families and their communities at large. So this is <laughs> IRIDA. That's really brilliant. Thank you. So what kind of issues do the women that you help, what kind of issues are they coming in with? So uh, since we are since we are offering services to a very uh, vulnerable population, refugee, asylum seeking and migrant women who are often among the most marginalized in uh, in the society, we offer a variety of. Um, of services and we try to respond to as many of their needs as possible. Uh, Most of the women who come here need support uh, in issues related to protection, so they need access to social worker and we usually connect them with, uh, with other public services in the city. And also we try to provide them uh, with support related to very primary needs like access to food or hygiene items. Uh, I would like to mention that over the last year, uh, we have seen an increase on this kind of needs. More and more refugee women come to us seeking for very basic things like food items, hygiene products, access to medication, access to healthcare. And then when we cover the, the issues related to protection, we also try to support them legally. We offer, we try to respond to their needs related to their legal um, rights by offering uh, representation, counseling, and legal support. 
And then we also uh, respond to their needs uh, related to learning and growing uh, personally. We offer educational learning opportunities and then we give them the chance also to socialize because most of the women we have come to Thessaloniki alone or only with their families and have no personal networks, no friends or no family. So they need a space where they can, you know, meet new people, communicate, share sim- uh, similar difficulties, similar experiences and develop friendships and social bonds. So I would say that women have like a variety of needs and we try to respond to most of them. That's so amazing. The, it sounds like the work you do is so valuable, especially making sure that they have kind of that social opportunity. Um, that's yes. really brilliant. What kind of social activities do you run? Social Related to social work, you mean? Uh, related to um, like the social side like to um, grow socially (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah okay i see um first of all all all, uh, our educational and all our recreational activities have this element of socializing because everything is happen in a classroom women communicate with each other in a common language most of the time is english and in some rare occasions is greek And uh, we also run activities uh, like PSS sessions where women have the chance to get to know each other a little bit bit better, to realize that they have more common uh, things to discuss about, more similarities than differences. And we also do some cultural outings in the city where the atmosphere is... uh, more relaxed and women can socialize in a different context. And also, even the fact that we give them the space to feel safe and to feel that they, they, they have the respect they need and there is mutual trust in, in, in which women can socialize in this space, I think that's also very, very important because we give them the context to cultivate uh, alone their own social uh, relationships. Yeah, that's really brilliant. We spoke a bit um, in the previous episode about the lack of safe spaces for women and the lack of considerations for um, these gendered needs. So in your opinion, what would you say the ideal safe space for women, uh, for women would be? I think for me... Um, and I don't want to bless my house, but I would say that Irida is, you know, is very close to the ideal space, the ideal safe space for women, because we are very uh, inclusive. We everything is based on mutual uh, respect and trust. We try to be very transparent with our community and always explain very well why everything is happening. And the only thing that I would like to add in order to make Irida the ideal safe space is that I would like uh, Irida to be able to provide women with a safe space for their, for their children, at least for uh, a specific amount of time during the day, because this is something very important. We know that on many occasions, or at, 
or in the majority of the occasions, women are the main caregivers and they care, carry the burden of the household and the care of the children. So I believe it's very important to have a space where they can, you know, feel comfortable to leave their children um, and do something that they will enjoy, that will help them relax, that will give them the opportunity to socialize because this is very, very important and it's something that we see as a need and a gap in the support of women. Brilliant, thank you. Um, Yeah, I think it's really interesting, especially the social needs for the women. Um, I think it's so fantastic that Arida caters so well to them. Obviously, you've addressed this slightly in uh, the lack of space for children, but is there anything else that you wish the Arida Centre could do in terms of um, to support the women? Obviously, you do such brilliant work, but is there anything else you feel like you wish was there? Um, well, it's something that we're planning to do in the future, uh, but still we're in this very primary stage that we brainstorm and try to see how we could do it. But I think also it would be very nice to uh, have an employability and employment program, which is also very important uh, for the community we serve. And it's also something that is lacking from the market, let's say. Uh, Women have realized the need to be financially independent and we would love to have the capacity to support them grow towards this aspect Uh, have employability services, attend soft skill workshops, have support with the job, with the CV making, with the job, with the job search, with preparation for mock interviews, and also support when they are successful uh, in a word in a job application, with all the documentation that you need to submit in order to be recruited, event to be hired eventually, not recruited. Uh, so. I would no, I would also mention that. Okay, perfect. I think obviously the Arida Centre is so new still, it's you know, established fully in twenty eighteen. Um, but what do you feel is lacking in terms of support for the centre? I would say that any tiny act of support and solidarity is more than welcome and I can assure you that it can have a great impact on the lives and the well-being of our community. First of all, uh, I invite all of you to follow us on our social media and you can invite your friends and family to do the same. And of course, uh, we're always open uh, to new volunteers who feel uh, you know, that they can offer to the community and they have passion and commitment to facilitate their own activities. And of course, uh, you know, you can always donate if you feel so, because financial sustainability is always a main thing for the continuation of any project in the humanitarian field. Brilliant, thank you. What do you feel needs to be done outside of just the Arena Centre? Like, what do you see being done to help the women um, further from that? Okay. Um, Generally, I think it's very important to 
create the space, to create a space for women to feel heard and supported and be able to raise their voices and advocate for their rights. And we have seen over uh, the pandemic that, you know, um, some gender inequalities increased massively. And I think, I I believe that those inequalities were there, but because of the pandemic, they came under the spotlight. Uh, And also, I would say that, you know, Government should invest more in civil society because most many many organizations do an amazing work, but they have to fight with so much bureaucracy that this that you know sometimes this can be a very in, immense barrier to to your work you know, and I think you know somehow the state should recognize the work of the civil society and give them the tools and the capacity uh, you know, to grow and offer more. And I think also it would be very you know, beneficial for the state actor to, to work close, more closely with the civil society because then we will be more able to cover more gaps and respond to more needs and support more people and more women and more, you know, more children. Yeah, I totally agree that government action is so needed in terms of all of this, especially in terms of funding and supporting, especially work of charities like the Areda Centre, because it's so invaluable what you do. Um, I was going to ask you, so what, in terms of you personally, what do you find is the most rewarding part of your role and your work at Areda? Well, since I I do the social media and I'm responsible for the advocacy, for me, I would say that the most rewarding part is that I have the opportunity to create space for refugee asylum-seeking and migrant women to raise their voices and speak up about themselves and, you know, advocate for their rights. And I believe that there is nothing more empowering than being able to raise your voice and say very clearly and very loud what you need, what would you like, and, you know, claim your own rights. So for me, that's the most rewarding part of of what I do at Rita. That's so brilliant. I feel like the ability to, like you say, stand up for people and help them stand up for themselves is just such an amazing thing for you to do with your time. Totally Um, agree, yeah. It's what do you on the opposite side of that? What do you find hardest about your job and work? I think it's something that many people who work in the humanitarian sector face, and it has to do with the need to understand that our work always has limitations, and unfortunately, there are some staff that are beyond our powers, beyond our power either as individuals or as organizations when we work together. And what I like very much with Irida is that even when it is very, very hard, we always stand in front of our women and we explain them why 
we cannot support them with some requests and what are the limitations and we try to be as transparent as possible with the challenges we, we also face because then, because then we give them the opportunity to understand better and, you know, we also give them the space to express themselves and even when the response is negative, they feel her, heard and, you know, feeling heard, I believe, is somehow a form of support to know that someone really, really heard you and understood you and gave you the space to express your needs, your desires, whatever, even though the ne- the an- maybe the an- even though when the answer is negative, you know. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, I think it's really brilliant that you pride yourselves on the honesty and, you know, accepting the challenges that are faced, especially like we spoke about in terms of limitations of what the centre can do due to funding and time it's existed and things. Um, I think that's, yeah, just really in awe of you. Um, <laughs> I know, obviously, um, in terms of organisations like yours, it's, the general day-to-day differs a lot, but can you give me a bit of an idea of what you do kind of on a day-to-day basis? So we operate five days per week, Monday to Friday from 9.30 to 5.30. And uh, on a daily basis, women can access via the appointment our protection and legal services. And also on a daily basis, we have classes and activities taking place and uh, we try to keep the community informed about what is happening to the center and we try to um, enrich our programming with one-time off workshops or with smaller series of workshops so we have many activities taking place at the same time and also we have uh, we manage an open line of communication Uh, eight hours per day, five days per week, in which women can send requests, receive information about their social rights uh, based on their status, on their legal status, and generally, you know, express any need they may have, and we try to respond as soon as possible, and we also provide them with translation when it's necessary. And how did this change during COVID? Um, how did you feel the centre was impacted during the past year? I mean, we were uh, very much impacted, I would say, because uh, during the first lo- I mean, during both the first and the second lockdown, we were forced to suspend our services and close our physical space uh, in order to keep our community safe. So during the first lockdown, we had to... Um, redefine our whole programming and transfer our services online and imagine that all of our programming was based on physical presence and personal interaction with the community Um, anyway we worked hard and we managed uh, to maintain our flexibility and provide most of our services online and during the second lockdown I would say we were a little bit more flexible. The space was still open only for protection and legal appointments. We were, uh, of course, we were following all of the precautionary measures against uh, COVID-19. 
And it was also open as a focal point where women know that they can receive, you know, emergency support in case of urgent situations, or they could uh, come and receive support related to food items, hygiene items, and medication. And how how was it accessed by the women online? How did they manage to get access to it? Okay, in the beginning, it was very demanding. It was very... They were very unfamiliar uh, with digital tools. Many of uh, our community members are digitally illiterate. So it took us some time to to find a method that could work for everybody. In order to maintain connected with our community, we established a Facebook group only for our community members in and we were posting um, small activities, um, news, information, something just to, you know, to maintain the contact with them. We also uh, established a YouTube channel and we were making small videos and upload uh, for them. Uh, but eventually, I believe it worked very well because... I think during the second lockdown, they were so used at it that we didn't have a huge drop to the attendances. For example, women were way more engaged. They know, I mean, they were feeling way more comfortable in the digital environment. And in the fact, in fact, when we opened again, uh, we had some difficulties to bring the community back to the center because they were that used in the online classes so we had to work again in order to re-establish personal interaction and physical presence and have you kept any form of the online presence continuing now no no we don't uh we did it only in the beginning when we reopened in summer as a transition phase but now uh and hope, but now you know uh, women are more engaged, and of course, they missed the center a lot. And hopefully, we will be able to remain open during the whole winter because situation seems to go again out of control. Anyway, uh, and we continue as usual as possible and as normal as possible. Okay, perfect. That makes sense, especially with what you talk about the social interactions. I guess online, like you say, you hugely miss out on that. Just to finish off, uh, we've spoken a bit about what people can do and what's lacking in support for the Arida Centre, but is there anything else that people can do to support you and the women? I mean, I think what I mentioned before about following us on on social media and be aware of what we do and be aware generally of the situation uh, and the challenges refugee, asylum seeking and migrant women face, not only in Europe, not only in Greece, but generally on an international level. Um, Being engaged by offering uh, their time and skills as volunteers or by donating uh, can make a huge difference to our project and I would say to every project similar to us. And of course, you know, always keep in mind that when when you invest in women, 
you don't invest just in individuals, you invest in entire families and communities because women always give back to their families and the communities. And since they are first responders, uh, when they feel included and integrated, they tend to pass this experience to their children. So it is very important to support women and help them grow and feel active members of the society. That's so powerful. Thank you so much. The work you do is so brilliant. Um, And thank thank you you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you for all all these amazing questions. And thank you for giving me the space to say a few things about Irida uh, and reach more people about who we are and what we do.